0: Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. We are so glad that you're here this morning for worship. If you're a guest with us for the first time, or if you're someone who's found yourself in this place for the thousandth time, we consider it a joy to worship with you today. If you are a guest, we ask that you take a minute to fill out this visitor slip that's in the pews. That is ultimately the best way for us to get in contact with you and just get to know you a little bit better. You'll also need, you'll, you will also need a worship folder this morning. This morning, we'll continue in our worship series on life-saving practices, where we ask the question, what is saving your life? As some of you might have seen this past week in the Tower or on the Calvary Facebook page, I shared a place where I feel especially rejuvenated and at peace. That place is our family's back porch. Recently, my mom bought Hank and I an outdoor sofa as a joint birthday present, which is just adulthood in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, But we also have these twinkle lights that are strung between about five trees on the side of our house, and the people who lived there before us actually left those when they moved, and we have just continued replacing them as they've gone out. But it's become a life-saving practice for me to sit in that space despite the um, increasing heat and lots of mosquitoes, and simply be. You see, for me, sometimes doing the thing that helps save me means doing not much of anything at all. So today, as we begin worship, I encourage you to think of a physical space where you feel safe, a place where you feel like you are refilled, a place that might just be helping save your life. Let's worship together this morning. Bye. Mm-hmm.
1: Rangers. Yeah.
2: Thank you that you walk with us every day, that you are with us in each moment. Thank you that your promises are true and your goodness never fails us. In this moment, we come to you and we lay our lives before you. May we worship and adore you with every fiber of our being. May everything within us cry holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so today we join with all those in worship and confess you as Lord from generations past and present and with all the angels that sing in heaven of your greatness and beauty. Lord, we adore you. Lord, we love you. Lord, you are so precious to us, amen.
3: Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed.
4: So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy
1: Abram took his wife Sarah and his brother's son Lot, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the persons who they acquired from Haran, and they set forth to go to the
5: land of Canaan.
3: When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to
5: him.
6: From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar an altar to the Lord, and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, by, journeyed on
1: by stages toward the Negev.
3: This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God.
3: been asking ourselves this question. What is it that is saving our lives? And we're asking a different person to respond to that question each week. And so this week I have asked Jess Gregory to share with us. Jess is a student at Truett Seminary. And I think one thing that she has discovered this past year is that when you start to read the Bible a bit more academically, and when the Bible becomes your textbook, it can also become challenging to connect with God in a personal way. And so Jess, has that been true for you? And if so, what is it that is saving your life in this season? And I think you've touched on maybe there's a difference of the things that can kind of numb us for a while versus the things that are really saving us. So what are some of those things for you?
7: like three lines in it and listening to those same lines over and over again and really holding on to those really really specific truths
3: so how are you creating time and space in the midst of grad school summer school to practice some of these things
7: so one thing that i've tried about what is going to be enriching to me. And that looks different for everyone. Um, And so sometimes for me that looks like grabbing coffee with a friend or taking a nap or spending time in quiet. for other people. It looks like gardening or taking a walk. And so taking a day off but being very intentional with what that day looks
5: like. I
3: think it's important for us to also ask ourselves in the midst of this season, not only what is saving our lives, but when we do that, what difference does that make in how we respond to and care for the world around us. What difference does it make when you practice some of these things?
7: So the the short sentence answer is, it makes me a better person um, to everyone around me and myself. And so, spending time in silence and away from a book will then, once I go back into school, I'm more enriched and excited to actually read it. Uh, When I spend time alone, I'm more present with people when I am with them, and so what do that I do, um, when I have the time
3: to choose it, then it will enrich the things that I do succeed. Thanks so much for sharing with us, Jess. Um, I hope we can all keep asking ourselves this question. What is it that is saving our lives? And then what difference is that making, not only in our lives, but in the life of the world?
5: My prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels
1: strong. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire, in weakness or trial or pain. There is a faith proved of more worth than gold. Bring praise, I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and he is here. This is my prayer in the battle triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ so firm on his promise I'll stand. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory and he is All of my life, in every season, you are still God, I have a reason to see, I have a reason to worship. All of my life, in every season, you are still God, I have a reason to see. worship
5: All of my life in every season you are so good
1: I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship All of my life in every season you are Weapon formed against me shall remain i will rejoice i will declare god is my victory and he my prayer in the harvest
5: when favor and providence flow.
1: I know I'm filled to be emptied again. The seed I've received I will
6: And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Her words came out of nowhere. Sometimes you have to move in order to really grow. I was 23 years old and settling into my first job. Seminary, doctoral work, or any kind of move away from Alabama was nowhere on my radar. But something about her words burned my heart. I don't know when or why, but at some point soon, I think I'll have to move. Was it God speaking, or was it just heartburn from dinner the night before? As is so often the case with these kinds of things, the answer was yes. Yes, it was probably heartburn. (laughs) And yes, it was probably also God. Either way, it came out of nowhere, as these things often do. It must have come out of nowhere for Abram too. Get up, get you going, away from everyone you know and everything that you love, and come to the land that I will show you." He was 75 years old, not the most likely candidate for a career change, a new baby, or a cross-country move. Like me, maybe he asked himself whether the voice he heard was actually from God. Now, is this God, or did Sarah put too much spice in the lentils last night? No, it's, it's probably just the lentils. This always happens when she overseasons them. I'll have a talk with her about that. I'll add it to my to-do list. Let's see. Re-inscribe patriarchy? Talk to wife about lentils. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank God that definitely wasn't God. But, oh God, what if that's God? What if it's God. How do we know God's voice when we hear it? And what is it about God's voice that compels us to follow, especially when there are so many other more reasonable voices we could listen to? Surely there are more reasonable voices than the one that says, Get up, get going from all that is comfortable, comforting, or familiar, and do this thing you don't want to do. What is it about that voice that gives us the faith to follow? I don't know exactly, other than to say that maybe it's because there's something about that voice that feels true. In that same season of my life, there was another voice that came out of nowhere and said, have you ever thought about seminary? Those words burned my heart too. I don't know how I knew, but I knew, and so off I went. And on the very first day of seminary, the first words I heard were these. Life is a series of leavings. If I may, let me alter those words just slightly. Life with God is a series of leavings. And so however Abram knows, he knows, and off he goes, life with God is a series of leavings, and God's people have always been on the move. Indeed, folded into the narrator's appellation for Abram and for successive generations of Hebrew people is the very idea of leaving. In Genesis 14, 13, the narrator refers to him as Avram the Ivri, Abram the Hebrew, literally the one who crosses over to the other side or the one who passes over. Crossing over, passing over, journeying from one place to another, this is what life with God looks like for the Hebrew people. They were wanderers, nomads, baptized by the New Testament writers as those people looking for a better country. All of them, the writer of Hebrews tell us, set out in faith, and so do we. Life with God may be a series of leavings, and we may set out in faith, but we don't get there all at once. There are distracting voices and detours along the way, and if we're careful readers and realistic about human frailty and sin, we know that's how faith actually looks. Two steps forward, one step back. We go, like Abram, as the narrator tells us twice— in stages. And Abram journeyed on by stages towards the Negev. Life with God is like that. Our faith journey happens by stages. And so this morning I would offer us three stages of faith in Abram's life. The faith that leaves for the promise, the faith that laughs at the promise, And the faith that lays hold of the promise. The faith that leaves for the promise is inevitably a faith that will make altars to God and that at some point will put the self on the altar for God. A faith that leaves for the promise is a faith that if it does not fall on rocky ground or among thorns as Jesus would later teach If that does not happen, this is a faith that will eventually give the whole self in relationship to God. But for that to happen, there must be a leaving of some kind. In the Gospels, Jesus would speak about it as a leaving behind of whatever it is that keeps us from giving the whole self to God. So for the rich young ruler, of course, it was indeed riches. You lack one thing— Jesus tells him, and it really is the most important thing, the willingness to give the whole self. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving. But Jesus, Mark's gospel tells us specifically, but Jesus looked on him with love. Real love will not coerce, it will not force, It will compel, it will woo, it will draw unto itself, but it will not force. As I think about the invitations of grace by Jesus in the New Testament, I'm struck by the very reasonable explanations people give for why they can't follow. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But the man responded, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those who are in my home. How very human these responses are. Sharply contrasted to the disciples who say, we have left everything and followed you. And to Abram, the man James will later call the friend of God. All Genesis tells us is that he got up and went. But let's not over-spiritualize Abram or the disciples or anyone who leaves something behind to follow God. They are people just like us. How many of us have struggled to leave something behind? It's hard to say goodbye. It's hard to pack up not just our belongings, but perhaps our dreams about what we thought our life would be. But wait a minute, I I thought I could stay in this place forever. No, there must be a leaving. But wait a minute, you're not really asking me to kick that habit, are you? Yes, I am. You must leave it behind. I'll give you everything except this one thing. That's not enough. You must give me your whole self. And we are, all of us at various stages along the journey, and maybe that's okay, because Abram journeyed by stages, too. So did the disciples, at one moment professing devotion to Jesus, and another betraying him, falling asleep on him, denying they know him, wanting to be the most prominent, shoving aside sincere people like children, questioning the lifestyle choices of Jesus' hangers-on. The people of faith have always been people of faith. Meaning, we have faith, but we are also people, falling in love with God at one moment, yet always fallible, always sinners in need of grace, always in need of being saved every day and in every moment. Life with God is a series of leavings. And in some mysterious way, it is leaving that saves our lives. It is losing our lives that will save our lives. Because God does not just ask anything of us, God asks everything of us. Every moment with God is an opportunity to lose your life, and whatever is lost, Jesus promises in the gospel, Jesus will replace with himself Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And so there is a leaving. For Abram, it is a leaving behind of the life he used to know in order to experience new life with God. And yet, this promise of new life was, as all leavings are, punctuated with a question mark. The narrator makes it clear twice. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And beginning a tradition with Sarah of what scholars call the motif of the barren ancestress, before we ever hear a word from her, we hear a word first about her, and it's this one. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. And so all the laughter makes perfect sense. But a faith that laughs at the promise will often compromise the promise. And God isn't interested in compromises. God wants his own way. When we agree to leave everything behind to follow him, our lives belong to him. And so Abram goes, and what God immediately requires is trust. The promise is repeated time and again. Abram first sets out on the journey in Genesis 12, again in Genesis 13, after Abram separates from Lot, most famously perhaps in Genesis 15, after Abram expresses honest questions about how God will fulfill his promise in light of Sarah's barrenness, Later in the same chapter in the last few verses after a dreary and confusing vision in which God predicts Hebrew enslavement. In Genesis 17 where God adds circumcision to the stipulations of covenant mysteriously in the guise of three men who promise in a year's time a visitation and an opening of Sarah's womb. And finally after Abraham has successfully passed the peculiar test of being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. No less than seven times does God intervene and offer assurance of the promise at key moments of the story. No less than seven times does God's voice pierce through Abraham and Sarah's fears, doubts, confusions, offering a clear and resounding restatement of an earlier promise. The message is consistent and the voice is clear. But there's always another voice, isn't there? Or other voices? The voice of Sarah resounds strongly, surely, in Abraham's mind. What am I going to do about an heir? Maybe I can shortcut this promise because I don't want to have to wait. Maybe there's a Hagar out there somewhere I can use to my own ends. Leaving what is safe is scary, and I don't know how these people are. And what if God doesn't protect me? So maybe I'll just tell this one little lie about Sarah being my sister twice, one that has ramifications for the one I love the most. And now that I've made this choice, there are consequences. I'm stuck inside of the faithless choice that I've made, so I'll have to make another choice. I'll have to dispose of Hagar and Ishmael. Maybe God's promise really seems too unbelievable, too good to be true. So what about taking just this one shortcut? How about just settling in a place or a situation that's not really good, but good enough? In Genesis 18:14, the Lord puts it this way: Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? But when our situation seems too wonderful for God, we will often make some kind of compromise. And of course, it all seems too good to be true. So Sarah laughs at the impossible promise of God, and wouldn't we? Haven't we? We don't know the tone of Sarah's laughter. Was it bitter laughter, the kind that scoffs at something long hoped for but seemingly impossible? Was it A full-bellied kind of laughter, the kind that emerges after a late night, deep tired that finds everything hilarious? Was it the kind of laughter that happens when we decide it's better to laugh than to cry? Who knows? Perhaps not even Sarah herself, only God. God knows the reason for our laughter just as God knows the reason for our tears. Our laughter, our disbelief, our pain, does not negate God's goodness or nullify God's promise. In the words of the great country singer, Trisha Yearwood, what's meant to be will always find a way. But that way has to be God's way, and it is a way that we often wait for. What if Abraham and Sarah had waited on God? Trust in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, the psalmist says, When we walk closely with God, our desires will align. What if what we want is what God wants for us too? And what if, like Abraham, the journey is marked in stages? There are moments when God shows up, gives hints about what's to come. Can we hear that? Or are we too busy listening to the reasonable voice of Sarah? Abraham and Sarah do the wrong thing. They get it wrong quite a few times. But God is still faithful to his word. Isaac is still born. Abraham purchases property in the land that belongs to him and that will belong to his descendants. God even takes care of Abraham's mistake, making a promise to Ishmael. Because God does work all things together for good. And God is strong enough to work for us even when we're working against him. And so there is a third and final stage of the journey in Abraham's story, the faith that lays hold of the promise. Before Abram sets out on a journey, the Lord announces the reason for the leaving in the first place, so that you will be a blessing. There are not insignificant things we lose when we leave a place to set out on a journey with God, namely we lose our lives. But the faith that lays hold of the promise trusts that God will keep your life because our lives don't belong to us anyway. Our lives belong to God and our lives belong to each other just as Israel was always intended to be a light to the nations as the prophet Isaiah would put it. And as the Lord tells Abram, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We talk so much about wanting God's blessings, and yes, this is a God who blesses. Jesus does tell us that God gives bread, not a stone, and Abraham and Sarah do, in fact, hold a baby up to the light. But we must, as Abraham was, be willing to lay on the altar and sacrifice to God the thing we want most in the world. After all, we are only worthy of the blessing when we are willing to relinquish our grasp on it. Only then can it truly be ours. I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies, and by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice." the Lord tells Abraham, only after his near sacrifice of the blessing. Notice God doesn't require Abraham to give the blessing up completely, but to be willing to. It must have come out of nowhere, as these things often do. But what if it's God? God, we are thankful that you are a God who is personal, and present, and loving. Help us, as we grow in relationship with you, to truly befriend you. Amen.
3: Thank you, Noelle. I think the question that continued to come to my mind throughout that is of what do we need to let go and what are we hanging on to a little too tightly? Because life with God is a series of leaving and of losing, of listening, of letting go, and of following. And wherever we go, we go by faith. And so if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about what it means to follow Jesus by faith wherever he's calling us. Or about how you can join this community of faith at Calvary. We would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary as we continue in worship. After Jesus fed the 5,000 in John's gospel, the disciples followed him to where he was going next. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, he said to them, "'You are looking for me not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world.' And they said, "'Sir, give us this bread,' Jesus responded, I am the bread of life. For whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty.
4: I shared last week that worship is a life-saving act. And that is especially true as we come to this table to receive the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us.
3: It strikes me that Jesus could have told the disciples to remember him in so many other ways. But instead, on the very last night of his life, he held up a loaf of bread and a cup of wine, items that would have been on almost every dinner table. And he said, you will find me here in this space. Do this in remembrance of me.
4: He took a loaf of bread as a reminder that it is in the breaking that we become whole. It is in losing our lives that we begin to find them. And he took the cup as a reminder of life itself, a life that will always be stronger than death.
3: You see, ultimately, we participate in this moment to remember the one who gave his life so that you and I might have life and have it abundantly. Friends, this is a life-saving act.
4: So today we come to this table to remember that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
3: In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
4: And so let us come to this table.
3: You who have much faith and you who would like to have some more.
4: You who have been here often. For a long, long time.
3: You who are weary, and you who are filled with great hope,
4: come not because you understand what happens in this space, but because you need to reach out and receive the life that is offered to you. Come,
3: come receive, receive the, bread. the bread of life.
1: grace, come away with me, come away. God, from whom all blessings flow, Praise God, all creatures here below, Praise God, above ye heavenly hosts.
3: Search committee shared last week about our candidate John Hunt. John and his family will be with us next weekend and so I encourage you to look in your worship folder or the tower for all the different ways you can connect with them next week. Um, I have been in Birmingham this past week at CBF General Assembly. I'm going to write a bit more about that in the tower this week. But for me, one of the highlights was how many people came up to me and were so excited to tell me about John Hunt. Um, He was spoken of so highly by so many people I met, and so I can't wait for all of you to get to meet him as well. Um, I encourage you also to read the note in your worship folder with a mid-year financial update. I hope it can be a priority for all of us, especially as we're in these summer months to continue to give generously to the work that God is doing and will continue to do in this place. And then let's remember our youth and others who will be preparing for their South, Mich- South Texas mission trip later this week. They are leaving on Sunday morning. And just know that we are praying with you and, um, and traveling, journeying with you throughout this. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. May the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.